0: Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. well good morning friends welcome to first baptist tulsa whether this is the first time that you're here or you are regularly a part of our church family i want to welcome you to our church my name is dave i'm the associate pastor here this morning as you notice i asked the team to bring out the pulpit because i want to share a funny story about how the pulpit saved my life yeah certainly i responded to the gospel because someone preached it while standing behind the pulpit but the pulpit literally saved my life when i was 20 years old And I was in college. I was working at the church that I grew up in in Glendale, Arizona. This church gave me the opportunity to work there to explore if if I felt called to full-time ministry to see what that might look like. And so they allowed me to do lots of things, some ministry opportunities, and then some odd jobs around the campus. One particular day, they asked me to change the light bulbs in the worship center. The worship center wasn't quite with the ceiling quite as tall as the one we have, but they had a very tall ceiling, and so I set up an extension ladder as far out as it would go, and the light bulb that was directly above the pulpit was burned out. So I positioned the ladder, I climbed up, and it's funny the little things that you remember. I actually remember these big, bold red letters that were on one of the top steps that said, "Danger: Do not stand on or above this step." I was young. I was 20 after all. I stepped on that step and the one after that and the one after that. I changed the light bulb and then I felt the the ladder start to wobble and shake. The next thing I knew, it was falling. (laughs) I actually thought that was going to be the end until the next thing I remember was the sound of the ladder colliding with the pulpit. And in that moment, I jumped off and I landed on my feet. The pulpit had actually saved my life. I don't know what what would have happened if it hadn't been there, but I'm grateful that it was. I want to share another story about how the pulpit, or rather someone standing behind it, a pastor, a friend, encouraged me at a time when I really needed it. Some of you know that, that about eight weeks ago, I received a phone call as I was driving into the office Informing you that my grandfather, whom I had just visited a few weeks before to celebrate his 96th birthday, had passed away in the night. I'm the only minister in my family, and so I was asked if I could participate in the memorial service for my grandfather. Of course, I said yes. And as I was struggling to write the words, because I really loved my grandfather, out of the blue, I received a phone call from a friend. A pastor who told me that he felt like he was supposed to call me and encourage me. And he asked how I was doing, and I shared what I was doing, that I was preparing to speak for my grandfather's memorial service. He took time to listen to me, and then he prayed for me. I don't even remember the words that he prayed, and to be honest, I don't know that that matters. What I do remember is the time that he took, the compassion he demonstrated, as he gave empathy and compassion to me. And the words that he prayed, the Lord used those to give breath back into my lungs, to give me the words to be able to write so that I would be able to share what I knew would make the biggest impact for my family. So many times, I believe we take for granted what happens through the pulpit, whether it's the pastors that are quietly behind the scenes working or, or the pastors who are out in front week in and week out sharing encouraging words through the pulpit. So many of the ministers that are here on campus are praying for you and interceding for you to grow closer to God. I know Darren has shared with us recently even that he's praying through the directory, praying for each of you by name. I spend time Praying is part of my weekly routine for each of you to grow closer to God as well. Well, this morning we're continuing our teaching series on prayer called Amen, where through the series we've been exploring biblical examples of prayer to see how we might find ways that that prayers can shape, guide, and inform the way we approach God. So we began by looking at, at Jesus' example of prayer early in his ministry, how he would go to lonely places and pray. We saw how how Jesus prayed through the Lord's Prayer. We explored the the prayers of the persistent widow and the prayers that Jesus offered on the cross. We even looked last week at at a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian community as he prayed for them, giving us a model to pray everywhere, every time, on every occasion. And so today, as we approach prayer from Colossians chapter 1, I want you to think about this pulpit. And what it represents, what it symbolizes for you and for me. How through it so much encouragement comes to us. The Bible says in 1 John 2.1 that Jesus is our advocate. That he stands before the Father and he works to pray for us. In the same way, you know that the ministers here are praying for you. That deacons pray for you. That community group leaders and community group teachers are all interceding for God to help you grow. And so this morning, we'll look at a pastoral prayer, a prayer where Paul prays for the church in Colossae that is weary and run down and looking for encouragement. Perhaps some of you could use some encouragement as well this morning. For the church in Colossae, they were a group of people that did need encouragement The town of Colossae as a whole, it was was a prominent town for many, many years, located in the heart of the Lycos River Valley. It was on a major trade route in what's known as modern-day Turkey. Because it was on a trade route, it was an epicenter for trade and commerce and was a large, prominent city in its heyday. But by the time Paul writes this letter to the people of Colossae, other towns like Hierapolis and Laodicea, had grown in prominence in the same area, and they'd actually taken away some of the commerce from what was happening directly there. And so Colossae had become a a second-rate city or a has-been city, and the people of the town, they knew that. And then in addition to that, the believers in Colossae had had to fight off heresy against heresy against heresy where so many people came in to try and deceive the Colossians into believing other things about Jesus And so Epaphras, their teacher, their pastor, he would continually remind them of the truth of the gospel, how they could cling to him no matter what they were walking through. And Epaphras had grown weary and tired, so much so that he was willing to travel 1,300 miles, not by plane or not by car, but on foot to travel all the way from modern-day Turkey to Rome to visit a man that was in prison That definitely shows how desperate he was. But it also shows something about the power of pastoral prayer, how we can find encouragement when someone that we know and we trust is willing to pray for us. Paul certainly was a pastor and a leader for Epaphras. He led Epaphras to the Lord when he was pastoring the the church in Ephesus. And then Epaphras traveled from Ephesus the day's journey to Colossae, And started the church there. He led people to the Lord there and would travel back to Ephesus to to get mentored by Paul. And so Paul became this grandfather, so to speak, of the church in Colossae. He became deeply invested in the stories that he heard from Epaphras about changed lives and transformed lives. So when Epaphras came to visit him and he was struggling, Paul genuinely wanted to pray for the Colossians to experience God. He didn't offer up a prayer like sometimes when we end a conversation, we politely say, yeah, I'll be praying for you, and then we walk away. It wasn't the thoughts and prayers that we throw on social media. Paul intently and passionately prayed for the Colossians to experience God. And as he prayed, he prayed for three things. He prayed that the Colossians would be filled. He prayed that the Colossians would feel God's strength and he prayed that the Colossians would experience joy. And so as we read this prayer from Colossians 1, 9 through 14, I want you to pay attention to that. But before we read the passage together, there's one more thing I want to share with you. Paul actually wrote this prayer without dropping his pen from 1, 9 all the way to one twenty. It's one long sentence that includes a prayer and a moment of praise of worshiping God. It's almost as if Paul is so passionate about praying and interceding for the Colossians that he takes one big breath and then prays and prays and prays for the Colossians to experience a filling and experience God's strength and experience joy. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We'll go ahead and read the passage together. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As Paul begins this prayer, he prays, first of all, in verse 9, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God. And the image that Paul uses to describe filling, it's this idea of being completely inundated to be filled so much so that you end up spilling out and encouraging and impacting others. It would be as if you took a coffee mug and put it in your kitchen sink back home and you turned the faucet on and allowed the water to fill up the cup and then spill over into the sink and then fill up the sink and overflow the sink and spill out onto the countertop. It's this inside and outside and overflowing to touch other people around you sort of idea. And Paul doesn't just pray for any kind of filling. He prays for a specific filling. He prays that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God. When I think of knowing God, I really think of two different kinds of knowing. When I was in college, I had a friend who was a fan of John Mayer. And to say she was a fan probably is a bit of an understatement, actually. She was a fanatic. She knew everything there was to know about John Mayer. She knew the name of every song on every record that that he had recorded up to that point in his career. She had visited at least one concert from every tour that he'd been on up to that point. She knew his favorite restaurant, she knew his likes, she knew his dislikes. And so every time that I would encounter her, whether it was in the parking lot and uh, the college campus as we were coming in, or between classes, or even in class, she would share something new that she had learned about John Mayer. But interestingly enough, she had never actually met John Mayer. She gathered a-, a lot of great facts and figures, but she had never had an encounter with him. She had a lot of information but no interaction with the man. So that's one kind of knowing. Henry Blackaby, in his book, Experiencing God, he describes a second kind of of knowing that comes from experience. He says that we can know and daily experience the love that God has for us as we encounter God's power and God's presence through his word and through the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, in the early days of COVID, as my family, as many of us were unsure about what we would do and if it was okay to even travel, my family chose to stay home for Thanksgiving to know that we would be safe. We quickly learned that our neighbors, my my children called them Mr. Chuck and Miss Jean, were going to be doing the same. And so we invited them to join us for Thanksgiving dinner. Well, the day of Thanksgiving arrived and they came over. And my children had so much fun with them while we were doing the final preparations for the food. My oldest daughter, Addie, she brought out a pile of Disney princess books. And she sat down with Mr. Chuck and they would read through those books together, one story at a time. My middle boy, Christopher, he had a bunch of matchbox cars. And he brought those out and he and Miss Jean sat down on the floor and they were just driving those cars back and forth. And my youngest daughter, Jamie, She would just go back and forth from one person to the other person sitting in Mr. Chuck's lap for a little bit and getting up in a few minutes and going and sitting in Ms. Jean's lap and just having fun. And then the time for the meal arrived as the food was finally prepared. And what a great time we had. We sat down with them and we started sharing stories about our lives. We asked them, how they met, how long they'd been married, where all they lived, where all they traveled, and what they did for work, what their children did. We shared with them parts of our journey as well. As we shared, we had a rich conversation where we not only exchanged information, we got to know each other. We had a filling and fulfilling conversation that we all walked away feeling encouraged by. So between the great conversation and the turkey and the mashed potatoes, And the pumpkin pie. It was a filling evening. That's actually the image that I think Paul is conveying here in our passage as he talks about being filled with the knowledge of God. It's this this rich sense of knowing and experiencing God so much so that you can't help but be encouraged and want to rub shoulders with other people and encourage them as well. Mark Rutland. In his book, Streams of Mercy, actually talks about this same idea. He talks about, he he looks at a survey across uh, Americans and, and finds that there are three things that every American wants to hear the most. The phrase Americans want to hear the most, first of all, is the phrase, I love you, which makes perfect sense. We all want to be loved and accepted and welcomed into a community. The second phrase equally makes sense he says that Americans most want to hear the phrase, I forgive you. That makes sense because we want, if we make mistakes, we want to be welcomed back into that community. And the third phrase doesn't quite make as much sense. Supper's ready. But then when I think about that Thanksgiving meal that we had with, with our neighbors, it starts to make a little more sense. After all, that that filling connection that we had where everyone walked away feeling encouraged. That's what we all long for. And Mark Rutland went on to say that those three phrases I love you, I forgive you, and supper's ready describe perfectly the gospel message. After all, God loves us, and God has gone to great lengths to demonstrate that He loves us. God forgives us through the cross. And God has supper ready where any of us at any moment can experience and encounter a life-giving, fulfilling relationship with God when we invite Him in. And so this morning, I actually want to pause from the message for just a moment. As Paul just prayed for us and prayed for the Colossians, I want to pause and I want to pray for you that you would experience the sense of filling that comes from knowing God and walking with God. So would you bow your heads with me and pray with me? God, I thank you for each of my friends that are here today. I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with with that filling and fulfilling connection with you. I pray for, for those here maybe who are dry and feel like they'd need a touch from you and I pray especially that you would fill them up with more of your peace and more of your presence I pray Lord that today you would encourage us by helping us to experience you as we're around each other in Jesus name amen didn't that feel good? wasn't that different? I love that that we can not only learn from the Bible, but we can take a moment to pause and actually put it to practice and actually pray. Because that's what Paul did in the passage. Well, as Paul goes on, Paul prays in verse 11 that the Colossians would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Paul prays for strength. And when I think of strength, one of the first things that I think of is someone that has gone to great lengths to physically train their bodies. Someone like a Arnold Schwarzenegger or a Dwayne Johnson or a Chuck Norris. Someone who, who's really built, right? That's not quite the image that Paul is evoking here, though. See, Paul uses four words to describe strength. Paul says, dunamai, dunanuminos, kratos, doxa. It's Greek to me, too. I know. But as he says that, he describes strength in four different ways. The first two words, dunamai dunanuminos, we translate as power in our English translations. Typically, that word is used to describe the miraculous activity of God that brings about miracles. So if you think about the miracles that Jesus did, those were the, the, the dunamis displays of God's power, God's supernatural intervention. Kratos is the second word that Paul uses. And that word is often a synonym of dunamis in the Greek text, but also it's used to describe God's might. So if you think about the mighty arm of God that saves us, so the mighty arm of God that defeats battles on our behalf and goes before us, it's that strength that Paul is describing through that word. And then third, Paul prays for the doxa, of God or the glory of God. The best way to describe that word is to think about a king in his kingdom and anywhere within the borders of the kingdom of the king there's peace and security and stability and so Paul prays for the miraculous supernatural activity and power of God to walk with the Colossians. He prays for God's miraculous supernatural strength to cover over them that fights battles on their behalf. And he prays for God's peace to surround them as they go. When I think about that kind of power, it makes me think of a story that I encountered a few years ago about a woman named Angela Cavella. She's a middle-aged mom who was preparing dinner in her kitchen one night for her family when she heard a loud crash coming from her living room or coming from the front of her house. And so she went out to find out what was going on and she encountered a scene that no mother ever wants to see. Her 17-year-old boy, Tony, had been working on his car when the jack actually fell out and he was trapped underneath the car gasping for air. She froze for a moment, not sure what to do. And then she hopped right in. She lifted up the car and pulled her boy out and set the car back down. Doctors call that hysterical strength. It's, it's some combination of adrenaline rushing through your body when you're in the middle of a fight or flight response moment. And she acted with superhuman strength. That's the image that Paul is, is conveying here that God's supernatural strength would go with us. And that's what Paul prays for the Colossians that no matter what they walk through, whether they're walking through difficulties, or things are okay that they would feel that God is walking with them and so I don't know where you're at in your journey today if maybe you've been praying and praying and praying and you feel like your prayers have fallen on deaf ears maybe you've been walking through difficulties for so long you don't even know which way is up I want to pray this morning that you would be able to feel that that supernatural strength of God would be walking with you and would cover over you. And so let's bow our heads again and let's pray. God, for a second time, I lift up to you, my friends, and I pray that your supernatural strength would cover over and walk with each of my friends whatever they're walking through, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would help them to feel your power and your presence walking with them. Help them to sense and know that you are God, that you are strong, that you are with them. God, we need you, and so I pray that your strength would carry us through. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And as we look back at the text, there's one more thing that Paul prays for. As we continue reading in verse 11, Paul prays that the Colossians may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Paul prays for joy. Now our English translation translates the word joy as an adverb, but in our passage, Paul uses it as the glue that links together these ideas of having patience and having endurance and the idea of giving thanks for everything that God has done in our lives. And Paul isn't praying for this this Pollyanna-like joy that, that somehow magically or mystically makes everything all better. It's in the middle of difficult circumstances that we would experience joy because typically... We don't think of those two being associated with one another. We often pray for, for patience and endurance. Now, if you think about a runner who's running a marathon, are they filled with joy? Maybe when they cross the finish line, but at mile marker 9 or 14 or 22, not so much. Or what about someone who is waiting for test results, for, for medical stuff that they're exploring what's happening in their lives, and they don't know. They could use endurance and patience, but they're probably not experiencing joy. What about the parent who who has to travel across country with young children or parents who are up late at night because of a colicky child? They have endurance and patience. They've built that up, but joy, not so much. It's almost as if Paul knows something about joy that comes from thanksgiving, and so he prays for the Colossians to experience and cultivate the discipline of gratitude that leads to joyfulness in their lives. He knows that that thankfulness that leads to joy can become fuel that will carry them through whatever circumstances they walk through. It's just like fuel is for a car or electricity is for a lamp or propane or wood is for a barbecue grill. Joy is a leading emotion that can carry us through whatever difficulties we walk through. And so right now, I want to invite you and encourage you to think through. What are some of the things that you're the most thankful for? Maybe the first thing that comes in your mind is your spouse or your children or your grandchildren. Imagine yourself looking at a series of pictures in a photo album in your mind. And as you do that, I want to pray for a few things. I want to pray, first of all, that God would give us eyes to see more of what we do have than what we don't have. It is all too easy to get distracted by things that we don't have and want those. But the truth is, if we have roof over our heads, if we have food on the table, if we have a college education, just those things puts us in the top 6% of the world. It is too easy to look at what we don't have and get distracted. Second, I want to pray that God would give us the ability to focus, not to to be nearsighted or farsighted, but to simply see God in our midst. And third, I want to pray that God would enable us to look to the cross. After all, through the cross, God gave us freedom from sin he forgave us from the consequences of that brokenness that separates us from God and offers us new life just thinking about what God did through the cross fills me up with joy and I pray it does you as well and so I want to take one more moment to pause from our sermon and pray that God would fill you with thankfulness that leads to joy that will carry you through whatever circumstances you're walking through so, God, one more time, I lift up to you our church. Lord, I pray for everyone in here that you would help us to know and experience your joy that comes from thankfulness because of what you've done. Lord, we thank you so much for everything that you've given us and everything that you have done in our behalf so that we could be made whole. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill us up with a greater level of your joy and your peace. So that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, that we could still see you. God, I pray for more of you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to conclude, there's one more thing I want to look at in this prayer. Because Paul, in the middle of the prayer, he actually leaves a challenge for us. In verse 10, he says, So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. See, Paul prays that the Colossians would walk with God, that they would bear fruit, and they would grow. It's almost like Paul is saying that it's not enough to simply receive from God, but he prays that that the Colossians, and that we would become conduits through which God's Spirit would be able to touch and impact other people. Last summer, my wife, which might actually not be thrilled that I'm sharing this story, but last summer, my wife decided that she would start reading through the Old Testament, not because anyone told her to, but simply because she just wanted to get closer to God. And so she started reading through the Bible one page at a time. She would go off... throughout the day, to our office, at home, to our kitchen table, and just start reading. Well, after a few weeks, our children noticed what was happening, and we saw them pull their Bibles out when it came time for bedtime. They started doing the same thing. They started reading their Bibles as well, verse by verse, looking through the Bible. No one had to tell them what to do. They saw their mother doing it, and they just wanted to do it because That's what they saw modeled for them. As we pray, as we pray for other people that we know to experience God, I believe God will use our prayers to rub off on other people, like my wife reading her Bible rubbed off on our children. We don't have to do these grandiose things. All we have to do is pray. And if you don't know what to pray, Maybe you can follow Paul's example here from the text to pray that other people would be filled with the knowledge of God, of that experiential encounter with the living God that's very filling and fulfilling. You can pray that people would experience God's strength that will carry them through whatever circumstance they're walking through and that they would experience God's joy that comes from thankfulness for thanking God for everything that he's done through the cross. And as we do that, as we pray, I believe God will use our words to have a greater impact for everyone around us. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your challenge from the word to pray. And I thank you for the encouragement that we found in your word through this pastoral prayer. Lord, I pray for each of my friends here that you would fill us, fill all of us, with a deeper sense of knowing you and walking with you. May you help all of us to feel your strength, no matter what we're walking through. And may you help all of us to have joy that comes from thankfulness for what you've done on our behalf. Lord, I pray for each of my friends and and wherever they're at in their journeys, and I pray that you would encourage them. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.